Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am Sarah Ann Minkin, Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Foundation. Today is January 12th, 2022, and I am so grateful to be joined today by Ali Awad. Ali is an activist from the village of Tuba in the South Hebron Hills. He's published numerous articles on 972 Magazine and in Haaretz newspaper. We're putting links to his articles on the landing page for this podcast. And he writes very powerfully about the experience of living under occupation. Today, we're going to talk about Masafar Yatta, an area in the South Hebron Hills that is under particular threat, where the Palestinian communities living there, which are mainly agricultural, face constant threat of dispossession from home demolitions and evictions to regular and increasing violence from Israeli settlers. A few months ago, we did a podcast about a particularly brutal attack by settlers on a Palestinian village in Masafar Yatta, an attack so brazen and violent that it was called a pogrom. Today, we are speaking with Ali for another look at the increasing amount of state-backed settler violence in Masafar Yatta. Ali, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah, and for organizing that and hosting me. Will you start off today by, by telling us about yourself? Introduce yourself, please, to, to our audience. Tell us about your background, about Tuba, about your family. Okay, yes. Uh, my name is uh, Ali Awad. I am 23 years old. I am an English literature graduate. Uh, I am an activist since I was 13 years old. And today I am also a writer. I pitch pieces to local calls like Haaretz and 972. I am from a village that is called Tuba. It's located in the area of Masafar Yatta in the South Hebron Hills. South Hebron Hills area, it's the last area of the south of West Bank at the adjacent with, the, with Israel. So my village is one of the 12 Palestinian villages that was declared as a firing zone by the Israeli army in order to displace us from our lands. So the South Hebron Hills area uh, is a goal by the Israeli occupation to, in order to evacuate the Palestinians to empty this land from the Palestinians, from the whole villages, in order to annex this area to Israel. The first policy that was started after the Israeli occupation to West Bank in 1967 by Israel against the Palestinians is in 1981 in the Settlement Affairs Committee session in the Knesset, the former Prime Minister Ariel Sharon suggested to offer our land, our homes for the IDF for live fire training. We are Palestinians who in this area who are just shepherds and farmers. We need our fields. Doesn't just mean for us a place where we belong to not just a place where we have a home in, but it's also a place where we eat from, where our sheep also graze from. We are not all our ancestors, our parents, the shape of their land imposed them to become shepherds. So without the land, they, it's not just that they become homeless, they also lose, lose their livelihood. 
So they declare our our lands as a firing zone in 1918. It is not because Israel doesn't have a place to train their soldiers. They they do, but there is a tricky thing to work on the legal action in order to have an excuse in the high court that we as a Palestinians living in a firing zone. The firing zone was came to us and then they say that we are the ones that are living in a IDF firing zone. So in 1999, they also uh, evacuated the 12 villages. 700 residents were put in the in the trucks of the Israeli army and thrown away out of Masaf Riyatta, including my family. For six months from November until the half of the year of 2000, my family and other 700 residents of those villages were refugees and homeless until they could until the, like the, the petition that was received to the judge in the Israeli High Court was accepted and they got an interim injunction to come back home. But even though 22 years after that interim injunction, the people are still waiting for the final hearing and it never happens. You can also have a look at Save Myself campaign, which is uh, stories for, that we did from our communities talking about this topic. The other policy, which it is the, the settlements. I would say that there is like the biggest settlements presence is in the South Hebron Hills area. In the 1967, when the Israeli army arrived to the West Bank and to the Masafir Yatta, they have built military bases for their army on the top of the hills. Until the year 1980, those were just an army and there was no one Israeli settler in the, in the, in the occupied Palestinian territories of South Hebron Hills. Then Israel started to transfer these military bases into residential neighborhoods in order to use its civilians as settlers to take a control on other people's land. So they started with that strategy and then they built the settlements and they started to bring the, the, the Israeli civilians as settlers in the occupied territories. In order to keep expanding more and more and more in land, they started another policy that they are using against the Palestinians to take over their land is that during the Ottoman Empire, that when it was occupying Palestine here, there was a law that says if a farmer don't use his land for a few years, this land transferred to the state. But Israel is using it for colonialism goals. So, for example, there are like the hills, stony, uh, stony lands. Palestinians cultivate part of it, and in, in the other half, they use it for grazing the sheep. Grazing the sheep means that they are using it. If the Palestinians don't use these stony roads as a plantation, then they declare it as a state land. Then the state have the right to rent it for whoever the state wants. But Israel here just rented for the settlers 
in order to build agricultural outposts. Just from July 2020 until today, I would say 10,000 of donums of Palestinians were lost from the shepherds for the benefits of the, of the Israeli settlers' agricultural outposts. Yeah, so this is like the, the two main policies that Israel is using against us in Masafar Yadda in order to displace us and to evacuate all our villages and then to annex this land to become its territories. The other thing that the whole area of the South Hebron Hills after Oslo Accords, it was classified as Area C, which means it's totally under the Israeli civil administration. The Israeli civil administration control the land, the population, and the construction. So each village, it now like each villages that have should have a master plan, it would be like given to the to the Israeli civil administration uh, for asking uh, permission. But the Israeli civil administration reject more than 98% of all these permissions are rejected. For example, there in the, in the South Musafir Yatta, as part of, uh, of South Hebron Hills, there is no master plan in any of them. And it's also declared as a firing zone. Musafir Yatta has more than 30 villages. There are just two villages that have a master plan. And the master plan doesn't mean that we'll give territories, the whole territories of the village, just the smallest specific area of the village as it happened in the two villages of Masaf in the South Hebron Hills, Etwani and Imnizel. Ali, thank you. This was so, that was such a, 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 a thorough overview of, of the situation you. in, in Masafariyata. And I, I just, I want to make sure, and, and for our listeners, just to, to, um, to reflect on, on what you just told us. So, so first, the, this, this uh, enormous threat of what is called Firing Zone 918, which is the Israeli live fire training zone that was declared in 1981 in the area of 12 of the villages in Masafariyata. And, um, okay. and, and Firing Zone 918 is, is an ongoing and, and, and an open issue. The Supreme Court has not decided on it yet, and there is constant threat to those villages. And then the other issue, this ongoing issue, is the settlements and the growth of settlements for Israeli settlers, civilian settlers who are taking over Palestinian land with their settlements and with their agricultural settlements. And, and through the, um, the taking over of land, both to build their houses and for their own use of land and through multiple ways, including, and you explained to us the Ottoman law that through which the Israeli state confiscates Palestinian land, declares it state land, and then gives it, gives it to settlers. And um, thank you for that and for being so clear. And you mentioned also the, the Save Masafar Yata campaign. And there is a, a website, Save Masafar Yata, that you have been involved with because you write these beautiful profiles of, of the people of Masafar Yata and there are beautiful photographs. We're going to, I'm going to put a link on the landing page for this website so that uh, everyone who's listening can, can take a look and can see that this is an area full, full of life and full of life that is, that is under threat. Um, and you 
Ali are, are a part of a, um, a, a growing momentum of resistance to the efforts to, to kick you off of your land. And, and as you said, to not just make you and your family and the other people of Masafar Yata homeless, but also to take away your livelihoods. So, um, so thank you for sharing all of this with us. And I wanted to ask you, you, you in particular, you are a writer and, um, and, and a person who both observes the, the harms and the ills and the, the human rights violations that are happening. And you also have a, a very um, a special eye for what, what it looks like to live under occupation also, which you describe really beautifully in your, in your writing. And so can you give us a, an update? It has, this has been a, a, um, a tremendous week in terms of the violence in Masafariyata. Can you tell us about what's been happening most recently? Yeah, so actually like since, yani I, want, I want to say since May of last year, 2021, the the like the settlers violence and the, the Israeli the Israeli forces violence have raised like from the earth to the sky. For example, like the settlers now that we have we start like to observe, it's not just the settlers that they are coming and build their homes in our land, but they also enter to our villages and smash the skull of our sleeping babies. And this is like what happened in the last September as an example in the village of, of Mufagara. When, and all of these incidents, it happens when the IDF is right there watching, or not just sometimes watching, but sometimes also uh, shooting tear gas and the standing grenades at the Palestinians. And, the, and so, I'm, I'm gonna interrupt you just for one quick second. Sorry, Ali. Sure. Uh, what happened in the village of Mufagara is, is what people called a pogrom. And um, it was it was covered in the press, and actually, we at FMEP did a a, a, a podcast about it uh, um, at the time because it was so violent and so horrifying. With Basil El Adra, who is a, a colleague of yours and, and a, a fellow activist, and also Natasha Wertheimer, who's an Australian American activist, also. So I want to recommend to all of our listeners to 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 go and and, and hear about uh, what happened in the village of Mufagara, but. Ali, please, please continue. So since May of 2021, the violence has been increasing so much, you were saying. Exactly. Like since that time, as you, as you remember, that there was like an uprising in the whole, in the whole Palestine. In 48, in West Bank, it started following the Sheikh Jarrah uh, evacuation. The Palestinians like was uprising and responding to the evacuation against the people there. Then the, settl the settlers, like we found that the settlers want to kind of analyze and what we thought that they want to respond to us and to make our popular resistance weak again, which is like our resistance is our for our own rights. And those settlers felt that they are threatened and that our resistance is ending the occupation and they will be also, they will go away. So they, they started with hard, with organized, uh, attacks not just against the shepherds or against the farmers who graze in their own land next to the settlements, but they started to enter inside the village. All the 28th of Simkra, uh, Jewish holiday, which is was like 
dozens of settlers, Jewish youth guys, have attacked the village of Mfagara with the IDF right there and broke, smashed like the skull of the kid, stabbing the goats, the animals, like everything that belonged to the Palestinians, feel, they feel that they have to get rid out of it. Actually, the problem started there by when they, when they stabbed four goats with a screwdriver. Then they, they smashed the guys and also the IDF who was accompanying them instead of trying to stop the violence against the Palestinians inside their home while the settlers are smashing the windows and the houses, the cars of the Palestinians in Mufaggara, the IDF soldiers, they were arresting other Palestinians, people who were trying to defend themselves and shooting stun grenades at them. Actually, the, 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 the four-year-old four baby who was sleeping and had, had his skull fractured through the window of his bedroom, it's because the soldiers were pushing the people away from their homes and his mom could not manage to come and to grab him and run away with him. So, yeah, I mean, this is like part of it. And it seems that the, the settlers are used as tools in the hands of the Israeli government for the colonialism and for evacuating the Palestinians. If the, if the firing zone did not succeed to demolish the Palestinians' homes and to let them go from their homes, if the state land law doesn't make let them go after they lost all their grazing fields, they started with the terrorism, with terrorizing the Palestinians by similar attacks. So the settlers now are threatening us, the other settlers from the outpost nearby us, they are threatening us if we come to our fields next to the settlements, they're going to do against us as they did in Mufaggara. This is what happened in my village. Just like two weeks ago, one settler came from Khavat Ma'on outpost, which is the nearest outpost to my village, less than one kilometer, and he came and entered my village, and he harassed my neighbor field. My neighbor went and to ask him, like, please, don't, you are harassing my only livelihood. This is the food that is for my sheep, my sheep that feed my, my small kids. And he said, no, you don't have any right here. I have the right to do whatever I want. This is my land. Then the people peacefully, like including my, some of my members of my family, my cousins, my uncles, took his flock out and we asked Israeli activists to call the police. When the police came and they pushed him away. And then after that, the settlers told us, if you don't let us harass your fields, and if you stand against us, we will do against your village, my village Tuba. The same we did, the same terrorism we had did in Mufaggara. So this is like a, another strategy that they are starting with the terrorism. This is from the settlers part. And all of it because they are supported by the Israeli government and they are supported legally. So what happened following that, after like the police took the settlers out, because, because my, like, my neighbors and my uncle tried to take him out of the field, then the, the IDF two days ago came at the 3 a.m. while my uncle was sleeping and they arrested him with other two guys. They stayed three days in jail and they had to release 
with a big fine to pay. This because the settler claimed that they attacked him. This is from the settler's part. Also, the, 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 the Israeli soldiers and police are doing their part in terrorizing the Palestinians. For example, what happened just in January 5th against the old uh, anti-occupation activist Hash Suleiman from the village of Umm al-Khir. Hash Suleiman, like whoever like have a look at the, our piece in 972, we have described there that Hash Suleiman is always like resisting with like just grabbing, carrying the Palestinian flag and he never make any danger to anybody, even in his resistance. He believes he's an anti-occupation, non-violent resistance. Yeah. He never, he never like made any dangers to anybody. If we know him since we were born, we are in our early twenties and we know him as an activist since we were born. He always just shouting, screaming for the rights of his people, for the rights of his village. He totally believed in the non-violence resistance. This is I, I just just to to uh, to add to add for our, our listeners. You just referred to the piece in nine seven two. Just yesterday, you and and Alda Hathalin, who is from the village of Umochir, you published an article in nine seven two magazine, which we're going to link to. That is about the incident that you're about to that you're that you're telling us about now. It's a very very powerful, yeah. be- beautiful, haunting article about Haj Suleiman. And, and as you're saying, Haj Suleiman has been an activist, a nonviolent activist for so long. Anyone who has gone to Umm al-Khair has met him, has spent time with him, has seen him stand up for the rights of, of his village. Um, so please exactly. tell, tell us. Yeah, <clears throat> this peaceful activist who are just asking for the basic rights of his home and his children now, since 5th, January 5th until today, he's unconscious in the hospital. He, he had gut skulls, fractures, and the chest bleeding that day. And until today, he has to be unconscious just for standing with shouting in front of the Israeli police truck who was confiscating Palestinian cars from his village. So what I want to say in that, that those policies, including recently what we see, the high rate of terrorism are the settlers and the forces are working cooperatively, systematically in order to ethnically colonize us as Palestinians from our only, from our own only villages. Like we don't have another place to go there. So they have working so hard in a daily basis, everyone doing his part, either a settler or soldier, in order to displace us from our own homes. Oh, thank you. I, I want to ask you, since, since it's the most, the most recent piece, and, and you just um, you, you mentioned yeah. it, so Haj, Haj Suleiman was standing, there was a, 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 an Israeli police truck was coming to confiscate unregistered cars um, and maybe you can tell us explain to us for people who don't know why there were unregistered cars that they were coming to confiscate and 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 the hush was was run over by this truck um, 
just tell us just a, a little bit of what happened. And, and now he's unconscious in the hospital, you said. Okay. Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, uh, some of the Israeli cars that finish its registration, some of the Israelis sell it to the Palestinians. Because we as Palestinians pay double taxes for our own government and for the occupation. So it's not always that we can afford cars to, to buy cars. So uh, like the price of our cars here in Palestine, maybe double price like in the US or in another place. So in, some of the Palestinians buy these unregistered cars because they are cheap in order to use them inside their villages. So the, the Israeli police invaded the village of Umm al-Khair and, and the police <coughs> should not confiscate parked cars, the car that is parking, because it might be used for the mechanic. It might be used whatever it is. So they came and they start like to check the plate of the cars and to put them on the track. <clears throat> Some of the residents, especially the youth people, start like to trying to block the road in order to not make the police confiscate the cars. In Sohaj Suleiman, every time he see his the, the children of his village, the, the the youth people, he just go there to the, to the event and start like to shouting in the occupation and uh, chanting for the rights of the of the against the event that the occupation is carrying out. So he went there. It's actually two hundred meters from his home. The police was inside his village. So he was just like 200 meters from his, from his uh, own home. And while the, the youth were standing in front of the truck, the, the soldiers and the police went out of the, of the, of the military vehicles and started to shoot live bullets on the, on, the, on the sky. The youth people ran away and there was like part of the Israeli police car on the road and behind of it, there was the truck. Hajj Suleiman was not standing in the road. He was next to the road, a few meters next to the road. So the truck avoid, made a detour from the, the Israeli police car that is parking in front of it. And he went off-road where Hajj Suleiman was. And he hit him with the, with the truck and pulled him for 20 meters while driving full speed. And Hajj Suleiman was hung in the, in the truck, causing him fractures, mostly in every part of his body. Thank you for telling us and thank you also for going into the, the detail of what happened. I wanted uh, our listeners to understand what happened with Hash Suleiman and, and, the, and the truck that, as you said, took, took a detour and ran him over. Um, and then, as I understand it, and then left, and there, no one, there were, the Israelis. Yes. yes, so like in the statement, when Haaretz uh, investigated the, the, the news to write about it with the Israeli police, they, they released a statement, the Israeli police. Mm -hmm. Actually, there is, there is no even one clear statement that they are saying. 
First of all, they're saying that uh, there were, when, the, when also the family of Hajj Suleiman went to report, to go to report the Israeli officers that were in the incident, the Israeli police responded that there was a youth Palestinians who were going to find them and we're going to arrest them, who were trying to block the road. And before you come to complain against the police, the police still need something like beside fracturing whole body of an, a man in his late 60s, they are saying there was a demonstration and we're going to arrest the whole participants of that demonstrations. Before you come to file a complaint against the officers, we, the police, still have something to investigate in this case. Other thing they said that there was such a danger, like someone is chanting that was a danger for armed officers. And the officers had to run away. And then they said, Hajj Suleiman threw him in front, thrown himself in front of the truck while the truck went off-road to Hajj Suleiman in the left side. And they said, we didn't, they left without calling at least the, at least the ambulance for, for Hajj Suleiman. The, the, the settlement of Al Carmel, it is built on the land of Umm Al Khair. It is 10 meters away from the house of Hajj Suleiman. It is 200 meters away from, from the place where Hajj Suleiman had the accident. The Israeli, every settlement has an ambulance. They could like call that ambulance for Hajj Suleiman, and they didn't. And they said in their statement, there was a danger on our life and we had to leave the place. So that Hajj Suleiman had to be pulled by other youth in their civilian car until the city of Yatta for half an hour until he could meet the Palestinian ambulance and then take him from Yatta to the hospital in a distance of about 30 kilometers. He took at least one hour to reach to the to the to the to the hospital. A, a critical a critical hour for his survival. The, this the 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 the, uh, the the story that you tell us and that you explain about the 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 ambulance that is in Carmel or that the settlers have access to that won't go just next door to to um, to save Hajj Suleiman or 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 anyone else. And and from reading your writing, this is not. And, and knowing some of the stories of your family and things that have happened in Tuba, this is not the obviously the first time that you have um, experienced or seen such uh, such harm and such disregard for human life. And so I want to thank you, Ali, for for telling us all of this and for spending this this time with us. Um, we are going to we are going to 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 stay with you and to stay on the stories of Masafar Yata, of the people living in Masafar Yata, of the fight for life in Masafar Yata. Um, I, I want to ask you one last quick question. We're coming right, right to the end. And I, um, yeah. you started off by telling us that you've been an activist since you were 13 and now you're 23 and um, you studied English and you love English. And I wanted to ask you- Yes, I do. If, if you weren't, um, writing about these, these threats to your life and your family and your livelihoods all of the time, what, what would you be doing? What would you like to do? Yeah, 
Actually, since I was born, I was born like to a father who's a shepherd and the whole family, whole relatives who are knows just how to graze the sheep and to cultivate the land. And this is the only thing that they care about is to love their land and to cultivate it and to graze and to raise their goats and sheep and camels. My family have hundreds of them in Tuba. So I grew up like uh, being every day in my daily basis until I became six years old in my whole day routine of life, as I remember, is just like to go with my father and to, to work with the sheep. So my dream was to have my own farm of goats. Then when I went to school in, in the first fifth years of my school, when I was in the fifth grade, I found out that I love English and that I love to, I love this subject. So if now today I am a graduated in a bachelor degree. So I, if my dream was to become a teacher who has a farm of goats. So if I was not an activist who had like to document and help people and write their stories, I would be an English teacher in Masafariyata schools who has also a goat of farms in the village of Tuba. This what was my dream and hopefully when one day we don't need like to stand up for human rights violations, when there is no one that violates our human rights, I will go back and look for myself and for my childhood memory, what was it, and try to work on it. I really love goats, I really love uh, animals that my family has been uh, raising since decades in Tuba, and one day hopefully I would be able to do it myself and to teach it to my kids if I had once. <laughs> Hopefully one day for you. We hope that Inshallah. too. Inshallah. So Ali, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your time with us today. Um, it's I my pleasure, Sarah. And thank you so much for hosting it and organizing it. I really appreciate it. And every time that someone gives me the chance to tell those such stories because it's my responsibility in the life to raise the voices of those people up. Thank you, really, really thank you so much. Thank you for doing what you do. And I, and I wanna thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Occupied Thoughts. Please make sure to check out our website, the FMEP website, www.fmep.org for the resources related to this podcast, the many links, the articles, Ali's articles that I mentioned, and for lots of other important content related to Palestine and Israel. Please make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast so you can stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. You can watch video versions of our podcast, including this one on YouTube. And with that, I am signing off. I'm Sarah Ann Minkin signing off until the next episode of Occupied Thoughts. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.